Coming up on Chasing the Natty, last week we were only able to cover half of the positions when it came to the most impactful transfers so far this offseason. This week, we're going to take a look at the receivers and the tight ends. There's so much going on here that we won't be just looking at individual players, but entire receiver rooms and how they are going to impact CFF 2024. To help us out with this, we have on Nicholas Ian Allen of CFB Winning Edge, a man who knows a thing or two about how players can impact their current rosters. All that and more coming right after this. Caleb Williams dancing, cutting, mesmerizing run by the quarterback. Marvin Harrison, junior touchdown. Marvelous Marvin. This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everyone. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing the Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work on this Monday morning. We are the College Fantasy Football Podcast on the Campus of Canton Podcast Network. You can find us on all of your podcast feeds and on YouTube every Monday morning at 6 a.m. sharp. I almost said 7 a.m at 6 a.m. sharp during the offseason. If you want to support the great work we're doing here, head on over to CampusCanton.com and subscribe there with one of our grandiose tiers. You'll find everything you need for your CFF, Devi, C2C, and IDP, and betting needs. We got rankings. We got articles. We got tools. We got depth charts galore as part of our C2C winning edge package and so much more than that. You can also find me on the show on Twitter. I'm at CFF underscore Jared, and the show is at Chasing the Natty. And the owner and the entrepreneur, the creator, the godlike being of CFF knowledge across from me is Nicholas Ian Allen, the creator of CFB Winning Edge at CFB Winning Edge on Twitter. Nick, I just like making you blush with as many accolades <laughs> as I can throw at you as possible to start the show. Nick, how are you doing tonight, man? doing great i appreciate you having me it's been a while it has been a while i went back and looked and the last time that i had you on it looks like it was back during the spring about nine months ago we were talking about uh we talked about hybrid players remember we were talking mm. about some of those players that were kind of were in between positions and everything so it's it, it's been a minute it was a pretty good show though i enjoyed that one yeah me too you staying warm up there in vermont <laughs> <laughs> try my best had uh had to relocate uh, away from my normal uh, office area. It's uh, on the, the basement level. A little too chilly. We've had some uh, single-digit lows overnight, so uh, decided to, to switch it up a little bit, stay a little warmer. Uh, but yeah, trying to trying to keep warm for sure. Yeah, and here, in, here back in Georgia, uh, we are experiencing a bunch of panic because, God forbid, it gets below 30 degrees in the great peach state so you guys are probably laughing at all of us up north up there uh but we got a born and raised in georgia i i understand that is very very true um we got a great show ahead for you guys today we're gonna be talking about wide receivers in the transfer portal this year lots of guys to talk about there we got 10 again not really players we're gonna talk about a lot of rooms tonight because a lot of these teams that took in wide receivers um they, they the the plural there they took wide receivers 
and so it's going to be important that we talk about both or three wide receivers that were brought in and making sure we understand the impact and who actually could probably break out of that group when we talk about it. we got some tight ends that we'll talk about here today. And yeah, that's pretty much it for the most part. Uh, a lot of exciting stuff going on around the CFF world right now. Me and Nick are part of the way too early mock draft special right now. I'll refer to that probably a few times tonight. I'm not going to give away any actual picks or anything like that. So don't worry, I'm not spoiling anything for you guys. But you guys will have full access to that and the special that will come with it near the end of the month. So definitely look forward to that. Speaking of other announcements, got a few things to get off my chest before we really get into this. First of all, go check out the brand new Dynasty CFF podcast hosted by myself and Nate Marquise. It'll be a monthly podcast. We're releasing it roughly around the 15th of each month. Again, sometimes it'll be maybe a little before, maybe a little after, depending on me and Nate's schedule there. We'll be talking about different topics every single month. This past month, we talked about just the state of CFF Dynasty, how is the transfer portal, NIL, all this stuff impacting how we move forward with the game itself. We talked a lot about 2023 freshmen and how we view their output or their, excuse me, their outlook moving forward. It was an excellent show. Highly recommend you go and check it out over there. Some other exciting stuff. Obviously, we got the new Chasing the Natty merch as part of the Campus of Canton store. I got my shirt on here today. Finally came in. It is super, super comfy. Love the way the logo looks on this shirt. So absolutely go check out that stuff over there with you guys. So enough of that, Nick. I think it's time my spiels get away from us and we talk about some of these transfer portal wide receivers and tight ends. Before we get to specific ones, Nick, you watch the transfer portal, these roster movements more than anybody else. Really, I would say in the college football world, as much as some of these guys get paid to know the sport i really highly doubt they know it more than you do what are some trends what are some things you kind of picked up on when it comes to wide receivers and tight ends this year um i mean it's a good question uh the the portal as a whole um you know as as everyone knows i think uh it's just building and you know more and more each and every year that there are uh, higher percentages of players uh, jumping into the portal, making moves. I mean, you know, we've, we've got guys going to three or four uh, different schools. Um, and for for wide receiver, I don't have any hard numbers on this necessarily, but sort of anecdotally, um, in years past, it, it maybe seems a little more uh, or, or, you know, a little less hectic at that particular position, you know, receivers and tight ends. I mean, certainly plenty of movement and, and more now than there ever was, but um, maybe it's just because quarterback gets the headlines and, and, you know, makes the uh, biggest impact both on the field. And, and of course the way I do my numbers as well. So that I guess is, is top of mind. Um, but for whatever reason, it, it seems like wide receiver is just a little bit quieter. Uh, there are fewer um, just major impacts, you know, premium uh, wide out options than there are, you know, guys who are going to make a, a huge immediate impact at the quarterback position, you know, probably uh, running back as well. I mean, certainly there are some, you know, Evan Stewart, yep. I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about there, there, there are others who come in with very high expectations, you know, Jordan Addison a couple of years ago, of course. Um, but 
I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just uh, for whatever reason it, it flies under the radar a little bit for me. Um, but receiver and and tight end uh, seems to be just a, a little calmer, a little less of that you know major major impact uh, player. And and perhaps some of that perspective maybe on my end could be uh, wide receiver transfers scare me a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. as far as CFF goes. I mean, I know last year um, there were some guys that I really uh, you know, focused a lot of energy on, took in, in a large percentage of, of drafts uh, that did not work out. So maybe mm -hmm. I'm overcorrecting, um, but it, it seems to me that, uh, yeah, right now I'm, I'm maybe just a little less interested or I just want to um, really dig in and and make sure I completely understand sort of the situation that they're getting into. Um, I'm I'm probably going to be a lot more cautious when it comes to wide receiver position. Me personally, this year. So, a lot of interesting points there. I'm trying to rack my head around like what 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 point do I want to touch on here first? I think I'll start with the hesitation with transfer wide receivers. I was actually kind of the opposite of you last year, Nick, and that was that I did avoid transfer wide receivers a lot due to the fact that again I thought we were underestimating in a lot of systems the guys who were already there and I think you know the hot shiny new toy kind of captured a lot of people's attention over there and it worked out really really well for me so I definitely understand that I understand the hesitation but I do think that you know there it's not like there weren't transfers that didn't work out last year right like tez johnson at oregon is a good example you got uh Devontez walker at north carolina once he was actually allowed to play he was absolutely friggin incredible uh, a couple of other guys Malik washington Malik washington uh, nobody saw it coming but nobody saw it coming but yeah, <laughs> but, but, but it is a trans you're that's an excellent example i didn't even think about that one as a transfer but you're 100 percent right that is a great example like it's not like it doesn't happen so i think it's on us in the cff industry this is kind of something that nate and i talked about is that we have to learn like just like we recur we learned what guys translate from the high school level to the college level we're now having to learn how do we balance out who's going to break out in some of these receiver rooms are these transfer wide receivers going to beat out the guys that are already there and we're definitely going to talk a lot about that here today as we got tons of rooms here to discuss. And I think we'll go ahead and get started with the first one here, Nick. And I want to go talk about the LSU wide receiver room, right? We got two major transfers, I would say, coming into this room this year. CJ Daniels, the wide receiver out of Liberty, probably the headliner of the bunch. I know a lot of recruiting services had him rated very highly as a wide receiver transfer. But you also bring in uh, Xavion Thomas, a former four-star wide receiver over there at Mississippi State, was playing as a true freshman for them over there. Very dynamic player, in my opinion. I wouldn't sleep on him going to this LSU wide receiver room. But as we kind of mentioned, like there's other options already there at LSU. Chris Hilton was a wide receiver that was kind of coming along down the stretch for LSU last year. Aaron Anderson, a former five-star wide receiver, originally went to Alabama transferred to LSU the year after very much in that second tier or that that um not second tier the um like in the back of wide receivers behind guys like neighbors and Thomas and then obviously Kyron Lacey Kyron Lacey is still hanging around he's hanging out there in the slot he can move around as well 
it's a room we have to navigate. And I got five legitimate names there. I think that we could work with moving forward for the Tigers here. And it is something we got we to gotta look for. Because again, just this past year, Malik Neighbors, wide receiver one. Brian Thomas, wide receiver eight. And now LSU does lose um, Denbrock, their offensive coordinator to Notre Dame. I don't believe they've named a new offensive coordinator yet. Nick, you might be able to correct me if they have, and I missed that. But I still think regardless of who they hire, they're going to want to pass the ball a ton. I mean, Nussmeyer has been waiting in the wings for a while, and his one major strength is being able to pass the ball in LSU's running back situation. Again, I like Caleb Jackson, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't look like that's something they're going to be able to lean on next year. Clearly, they want to lean on this passing game a little bit. That's why they went and grabbed, grabbed the receivers they did. So, Nick, I've been talking long, long enough here, man. Who are you looking at in this wide receiver room? Who, do you, who would you place your bets on? Because I'll say this. Again, in the draft we're in right now, I believe only one wide receiver out of LSU's room has been taken. Maybe two. I think, I think Daniels might have been taken as well. But are those the two guys? Um, that, or, excuse me. Who, who are you betting on in this room? Before I keep stumbling over my words. Yeah, well, so you you immediately uh, get me to you know be hypocritical here because um, yeah, Daniels has been taken. I know we're not going to spoil too much, but um, I I if there is a transfer receiver uh, <laughs> that I'm going to get excited about this year, I, I think it is CJ Daniels. Um, you know, I mean, statistically, uh, he's a guy who uh, put up really really good numbers in a pretty run heavy offense uh mm -hmm. jamie chadwell's offense at, at liberty of course we know uh, you know what caden salter did on the ground but he can throw it a little bit as well back after briefly uh entering the transfer portal but cj daniels who uh obviously has has made a different decision um you know he, he was a major impact player over 80 targets 55 catches over a thousand yards big play wide receiver mm -hmm. uh you know 19 and a half yards per catch double digit touchdowns i can remember at least one long touchdown that got wiped off uh by a uh instant replay reversal so you know he's a guy that that could have potentially even put up bigger numbers um, in an offense that's not necessarily, you know, I know Chadwell had some uh, big play performers at, at the receiver position at, at Coastal Carolina. Um, so it's not like it's a, a super negative spot, but uh, LSU, especially if, and you bring up a great point as we record, um, LSU still doesn't, we don't know exactly who's going to be calling plays there next year. Potentially the offense look a little different with Nussmeyer uh at, at quarterback we've seen some really good signs but we'll be starting at, at length for the first time in his career uh nevertheless cj daniels a guy who has produced at a, a pretty high level albeit against not great competition um who just is stepping into a room that there are so many opportunities uh to make an impact you know neighbors and thomas you mentioned where they ranked in, in CFF combined, you know, that's what, uh, 160 uh, targets easily going to be, or, or uh, receptions, excuse me. Over yeah, I was saying, like, I'm like, it's probably more yeah. than that. Uh, and so, you know, both of those guys leaving, CJ Daniels is going to step in, in my opinion, uh, is the guy to beat 
to be that wide receiver number one. We talk, you know, I'm I'm a little nervous in most cases about uh, wide receiver transfers. I'm a little nervous about wide receiver transfers who are going from a group of five situation to uh, you know, a power conference situation. And, and, you know, so, so I'm definitely, uh, going against what I said earlier, what I told myself I wasn't going to do very much this year, but I don't know. I was, I was just really, really impressed with what I saw from CJ Daniels from a physical standpoint, the way he can stretch the defense, the way he attacks the football, um, and the opportunity that exists for him in this LSU offense, because quite honestly, you know, with with Kyron Lacey, Chris Hilton, guys like that you mentioned, Aaron Anderson. I mean, there's there's talent there. Um, I've read some good things, seen some good things about each of those guys. But um, I don't know. To me, C.J. Daniels just uh, he has it, and I think can emerge as the top target in that offense. Xavier Thomas, you know, last year uh, the the change in the Mississippi State offense uh, really hurt him. You know, mm-hmm. really hurt his potential production had they been uh you know operating out of the air raid uh instead of moving to more of a, a heavy rushing attack uh, perhaps he would have you know been much much more productive so it's it's very possible that i'm underrating him um but i think a, a big piece of it is just i'm a i'm a fan of of cj daniels what i've seen from him and so maybe i'm a sucker maybe i'm fall, falling for it again but um if there's a, a transfer receiver that's got me excited at this point in the offseason, it's it's Daniels. What I got out of that was that you hate CJ Daniels going into this year. <laughs> no. Yeah, clearly clearly Nick is very much a fan of this one. And honestly, I was a little skeptical at first. Again, I'm just blatantly skeptical of most wide receiver transfers, but the more I think about it, this is not a plug and play for Malik Dan or Malik Neighbors, man, but like when I think about to what Brian Thomas did last year. Being on the outside, being that big play, deep threat option, I feel like that's where C.J. Daniels lines up this year. That's the role he's going to play in this offense. And if he can really master that, he can absolutely have a very similar role or a very similar season to what Brian Thomas was able to do last year. I mean, look at what Daniels did last year. He's wide receiver 51. But he, in the same way as Brian Thomas, he was very boomer bust. We had four games from C.J. Daniels last year where he finished with under three fantasy points in half PPR formats. So, like, but Brian Thomas in many ways was the same way. He had some really, really bad games because when those deep balls don't hit, that's just what ends up happening to a guy like him. So that's probably my concern with C.J. Daniels is that I probably would be like him a bit more in best ball and I might uh, look at the guys like Thomas Hilton, Anderson Lacey as that potential Malik Neighbors target hog kind of deal but regardless i'm with you nick i like this transfer right here i i like xavion thomas but i'm gonna need to hear good things out of him to really start to believe definitely a room i'm keeping an eye on for the spring let's move on to our next guy here it's very rare like i said it's very rare when i am enamored by a wide receiver transfer when i say that a Wide receiver transfer is just a straight-up slam dunk. Evan Stewart going from Texas A&M to Oregon feels about as close to a slam dunk as we could possibly ask for, Nick. I mean, like, come on. Troy Franklin, wide receiver three last year. Evan Stewart can slide right into that outside role. Will Stein loves targeting those outside wide receivers. Dylan Gabriel is able to 
have himself a nice deep ball there. There's going to be some competition with Tej Johnson, but as we saw last year, this is an offense that absolutely can feed two wide receivers at the same time here. Really, my only question with this transfer is, again, I'm not spoiling where he went in our draft, but let's just say he went very, very high in our draft. And again, I don't know if I'm willing to spend that high of draft capital for a transfer wide receiver. Nick, do you kind of feel the same way? Yeah, I think so. And really the way I expect it to work out for me with Evan Stewart specifically, there's probably going to be somebody in every draft who's just a little bit higher than I am. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm probably not going to end up with very many shares. Uh, could be wrong. I, I certainly could uh, be swayed, you know, when we hear uh, reports uh, out of spring and, and fall camp, of course, and, and uh, sort of the lead up to it. But uh, there, there's certainly an opportunity for him to step in and, and make a huge, huge impact. You know, Torrey Franklin leaving uh, 114 targets, 80 plus catches, nearly 1400 yards, 14 touchdowns. I mean, that's, that's a lot of production um, moving out the door. Uh, Tess Johnson being back is big, but, you know, Evan Stewart really does have uh, the talent, the potential to be that number one guy. And, and you know, Johnson is as good as he was. Uh, I, I'm not necessarily expecting him to take over that, you know, top target role or, or to mm -hmm. emerge as like a, a pure number one. I think Stewart is far more likely to, to take over that role. Um, but you know, there's, there's just a little bit of hesitation on my part. One, because there is a very established productive receiver coming back. LSU doesn't have that. Oregon does. Um, so that scares me off maybe just a little bit. Also, uh, you know, Stewart hasn't, uh, consistently been on the field quite honestly i mean he had some injuries mm -hmm. last year uh what was uh you know other points um not always uh, fully available that worries me just a touch um so i think that uh, seeing where he went in in this past draft and just knowing you know how much the community loved evan stewart coming out of uh high school you know five-star player all the uh you know the the bits we've seen from him um you know you you can see the talent it's just it's just there so uh i think that there's certainly going to be at least one person maybe more in every draft that's just in love with evan stewart a little bit more than i am so uh that's sort of how it worked out in this particular draft this first uh way too early uh, mock that that we're doing and i kind of expect that it's going to be that way um for most of of you know this draft season uh just i just i don't know there there are just a couple of things that i'm not i'm not quite ready to to put him in that you know elite tier where he certainly could end up and and i might miss out um but yeah i think there's just there's probably going to be somebody uh who just likes him a little bit more than i do so i'm not going to end up with very much of Evan yeah. Stewart. Yeah, and who can blame people? I mean, it, it the the system lines up. He has the quarterback. He has the talent. Like, I don't blame people for being super high on the, on him this year. I have my elite tier of wide receivers in terms of guys who are returning next year. 
or returning from last year who I've seen do it already before, Evan Sewer is probably the first guy outside of that tier that I would then look at in drafts. If that if he falls into that range, I'm ha- I'm happily able to take him in a lot of drafts. So let's move on to the next set of wide receivers here. And I say set because we got to go over to Boulder, Colorado and talk about the wide receivers they've been scooping up in the transfer portal. LeJonte Wester, our wide receiver six from last year. Will Shepard, who was wide receiver 125 to end the year, but he's a top 20 wide receiver through the first half of the season. So clearly two studs they were able to pull out of the transfer portal here. But once again, we got to compare to what does Colorado have there? They bring back Travis Hunter. It's a bit up in the air whether or not they're going to continue to get him reps on offense over there or they're going to translate him to full-time defense to get him ready for the NFL draft this upcoming year. They bring back Jimmy Horn as well to kind of lock down that slot there, which is where you would think LaJonte Wester would be playing. He got as high as wide receiver 35 through the first half of the season there, so clearly can be a productive guy when you need him to be. The only guy that really loses is Xavier Weaver, who ran out of eligibility. He finished the highest of the wide receivers at Colorado last year, wide receiver 44. Uh, he was as high as wide receiver 10 after week 7. So the first half of the season for Colorado was just absolutely nuts in terms of production they were able to get for their wide receivers. So it kind of leaves up in the air what's going to happen with these two guys that they're bringing in. Because again, these are not nobodies that the Buffalo the Buffaloes are bringing in here. Again, Wester can slide into the slot there. Shepard definitely can overtake that outside position that Weaver was in last year. You would think if Hunter moves back onto defense full-time, they find a way to get Horn, Wester, and Shepard out there on the field at the same time. Not sure who would play that other outside role, but clearly the CFF community is interested in these guys. Both Wester and Shepard came off the board in our draft uh, here, so clearly this is somebody that people are taking a look at here. And there's one more thing that we got to keep in mind. Sean Lewis is no longer here as Dion unceremoniously demoted him at the end of the year and promoted Pat Shermer instead. And that Colorado office didn't look quite as good to end the year. So, Nick, I guess the first question here, do you still believe in Dion and this offense going into the year? And I guess if you do, which receiver are you willing to draft? I'm torn, quite honestly. Um, there, there are things that I really, really like about both Lejante Wester and Will Shepard. I was, I was particularly high on Shepard last year. That worked out pretty well, as you said, in the first few weeks of the season. And then, uh, unfortunately, there was a, a big drop off there. But um, you know, Wester is somebody who I ended up being far. On. I mean, he led the country in receptions, uh, targets. I mean, the guy was all over the place. Um, and I really, really uh, like watching him play, really impressed with the level of production he's been able um, to have in an FAU offense that, you know, they they struggle a little bit at the quarterback position. Um, that was a big reason why Will Shepard dropped off late in the season. You know, there was certainly a, a ramping up of the strength of schedule that that definitely had an impact but uh a big part of that was the you know quarterback situation they had at Vanderbilt 
FAU, you know, somewhat similar, lost, uh, uh, you know, their their starter uh, for the year, went down with injury, um, ended up, you know, rolling in a, a, another experienced player, but a little bit of a drop-off after Casey Thompson went down. And Wester, for the most part, uh, just continued to be very, very productive. So I, you know, if I were to go after one of these guys, I think it probably would be Wester. Um, just the the numbers he put up last year are are pretty eye popping. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, led the nation in, in targets and receptions. Um, but this particular situation, you know, you you brought up a lot of points that are reasons for me to be uh, a, a bit hesitant. And maybe it's going to be another situation where you know there's probably somebody in every draft who's going to look at those numbers that he put up last year think back to the you know huge uh passing performances that Shadur Sanders had at points last season and and think that you know this guy is just set up for um another uh, you know spectacular season but you know as you said of course bringing in Will Shepard returning Jimmy Horn I'm not convinced that Travis Hunter is going to take a significant step back and and the amount of snaps he plays on offense we'll see mm-hmm. um but uh, you know, I, I expect that he'll have a role on on the offense, and and think that that could potentially eat into uh, one or or both of these guys' uh, targets and, and overall production. And then you bring up a great point about you know the change in in coaching staff uh, in play call, and um, we were really excited as a you know CFF uh, community when Sean Lewis got the job it looked like it was just off to uh, a huge start um at the beginning of the season and and then whatever happened uh within the staff to to lead to a change didn't necessarily seem like it was a, a step in the right direction uh on the field and and so yeah i'm i'm a little bit worried that um we're just going to see uh, you know that that offense uh, maybe not operating at, at the highest level it could in, you know, Lewis's, uh, if, if he were the one calling the shots, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that, you know, I was impressed with Shadur Sanders last year. I was way too low on him, did not, uh, you know, get him the credit that, that he probably deserved coming into the season. Um, and so one big advantage that, that, you know, both of these guys have is, They've got the quarterback situation figured out there. As long as they're able to keep Sanders healthy, um, then I think that they're going to throw for a lot of yards and both of these guys are, are going to have their opportunities. But um, there are at least two you know, established players uh, who are going to factor in here in addition to Wester taking a step up in you know moving from uh, a group of five conference um, that that worries me just just a little bit. One last thing I want to point out here is that Travis Hunter, you you brought it up. You're not fully convinced that he takes the step back in offensive snaps as some people tend to believe. And I think that there is a case for that because of the fact that when he came back from injury, there wasn't much working on that offense except for Travis Hunter. He was incredible the last five weeks of the season. If he took his last five games and extrapolated them to 12 games, he would have been on pace for the wide receiver 15 on the year. That was like, it was, it was a very, very good end to the season there. If he's really the only thing working, 
then it's going to be hard for that staff to justify taking him off of the offense. Now, you can argue that the reason why they went out went out and got guys like Shepard and Wester was so that they could afford to put Hunter back on defense. So, just one last little thought I want to throw out there. I just find it interesting that it doesn't seem like anybody's taking the shot on Hunter, but they're willing to take the shot on Wester and Shepard, even though Hunter had a phenomenal end to the year there. Yeah, it, it makes sense that he would uh, play fewer snaps, right? That he won't play 100 snaps per game. Yeah, God, no. Uh, starting on both sides of the ball. That makes sense. But he's he's one of the best players in college football, right? And, mm-hmm. and uh, Colorado is is going to try to win as many games as they can. And, and you know, Travis Hunter is going to be a big part of that. So I, I definitely don't buy that we get to week one or, or week seven or whatever it is. And Travis Hunter is strictly a defensive player. Um, maybe they limit him to 12 snaps, 15, you know, something like that. Try to limit his overall workload a little bit. Um, but he's still going to have a role. And I think when Mm -hmm. he's on the field, he's going to be targeted a pretty high percentage of the time. Uh, but also, you know, I know there are some smart folks out there that, that think perhaps, uh, he's a better receiver than he is a defensive back. You know, I, I'm not sure that that's, uh, that there's a consensus on that, but I, I have heard that from from multiple folks. So we'll we'll definitely see how it how it shakes out. But I I would be very very surprised if if Travis Hunter is not playing, you know, much offense. If or I would be shocked if he's playing no offense. Um, but I'd, I'd be very surprised if if we see a significant step back in in the level of uh, you know the number of snaps he's playing on offense. Alrighty, let's go ahead and move on to our next wide receiver we're going to discuss here. I want to talk about Josh Kelly, former wide receiver at Washington State uh, by way of, I believe it was UNLV before he went to um, Washington State. Uh, that was Williams. Williams was... Uh, was yeah, Kelly Josh always? Kelly was uh, Fresno State. Fresno State, yes. They, I, I obviously, I'm like, I know it's one of the Mountain West schools. Um yeah, at Washington State last year, by way of Fresno State the year before, in the transfer portal, once again, he has headed over to Texas Tech last year. Great year for Kelly. Wide receiver 33 at Washington State in that Ben Arbuckle offense. We love to see it. Even more impressive, he finishes a wide receiver 33 playing the outside role for Ben Arbuckle's offense, which typically is... Now that it's impossible to be CFF relevant there, obviously, as Kelly was very relevant last year, but it's that slot we really love to see out of that system over there. So the fact that Kelly performed as well as he did tells me a lot here. He heads over to Texas Tech. Thankfully, very similar system to what Ben Arbuckle runs. In fact, Ben Arbuckle and Zach Kitley were a dynamic duo when they were at Houston Christian and then Western Kentucky there. The problem is... Kitley hasn't really been able to find that magic again at Texas Tech, especially among the wide receivers. Last year, the highest Texas Tech wide receiver in fantasy was Miles Price. He finishes a wide receiver 188. The year before that, Jaron Bradley was the highest wide receiver for Texas Tech. He finishes a wide receiver 121. So, I like Josh Kelly. I like that I've seen him succeed in this system before. My problem is, like, I've been burned twice by Zach Kitley's offense the last couple of years. Nick, I know for a fact you loved Dre McCray last year. Like, <laughs> you, you've you also been burned by this. So, like, 
Is it is it a mistake for us to go after Kelly here? Well, uh, so I I too have been burned by Texas Tech. is It's really my own fault. I, I did fall in love with Dre McCray, Jay McCray, uh, Dre McCray a, a bit. Uh, I do pay attention to the FCS level a little bit more than most do, perhaps, and and so uh, in uh, twenty. 22 and thought he would be a perfect fit thought really thought uh that he had a, a chance to to be the top target in this offense and really didn't do a very good job of of reevaluating that initial stance throughout the course of, of the offseason so um that was a, a big mistake on my part hopefully i will have learned a little bit about that hopefully uh you know because Draymond McCray did start to come around a little bit at the end of the year hopefully i can um you know not not fall in love again um but yeah i've i've been investing in this texas tech offense uh, too much over the last couple of years and it and it certainly has not worked out i mean you know tyler shuck was somebody that that i've drafted pretty much as, as much as possible uh each of the last two years injuries certainly played a role in in his lack of success and and production um but uh, you know, this Texas Tech offense just has not been the same under Zach Kitley as, as what we thought we were getting uh, from that, you know, pretty magical season uh, that Western Kentucky had. Um, and one thing that that scares me, I think, even more than just, you know, who who's going to uh, step up and, and have the potential to be that just huge uh, level of, of production type receiver Taj Brooks had a great year last year mm-hmm. he's back um yep. and you know Zach Kitley is as much as we know he really would like to throw the football uh, a lot Texas Tech uh, had a better chance of winning football games last year when they uh, allowed Taj Brooks to to sort of put that offense on his shoulders so um one I'm I'm you know finally I guess coming around to the fact that uh, this offense just isn't as good as I expected it to be. Uh, hopefully it's not a situation where, you know, I'm, I'm throwing up my hands and, and saying I'm done and and finally it clicks and, and we get, uh, you know, a huge passing year for Baron Morton and, and guys really do step up. Maybe Josh Kelly's one of them and, and I'm just not going to uh, be highly invested. Um, but I, I've really soured on Texas tech uh, sort of as, as that system, as that, that offense with Zach Kittley calling the plays. Um, it just hasn't lived up to expectations and, and, you know, probably my expectations were too high, uh, but that's, that's issue number one for me. Issue number two is Tosh Brooks uh, issue number three. You know, I don't think it's necessarily Dre McCray, uh, but Koi Eakin, uh, has, uh, was pretty impressive uh, at times last year. Uh, really seemed like he was stepping up and, and has the potential to be, you know, a playmaker in, in that offense. So uh, Kelly, yeah, I think there's a, a good chance that, that especially with, you know, Xavier White's out of uh, eligibility, Price has moved on, um, you know, Bradley has moved on. Tyler King, Moke Fungi, JJ Sparkman. I was was in Nehemiah Martinez. uh, They're all gone. It's 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 cleared out quite a bit. So um maybe, maybe I do need to reevaluate that it's not, you know, who's going to be this top one or two 
um, out of seven or eight guys that we were talking about last year that could potentially be, um, you know, major impact receivers. Uh, but there's there's still a few other guys who who are going to be in the mix, and and more though than that, I'm just man, I'm 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 sort of off uh, Texas Tech right now. I I certainly am willing to uh, maybe get hurt again before all said and done, but. Uh, as of right now, I'm I'm not really interested in, in investing nearly as much as I was in years past in, in this offense, and, and that includes Kelly, unfortunately. I think there's a couple points in favor of people who may want to take their shot on this offense. One, we are almost to the end of this way too early mock draft, and there has not been a single Texas Tech player taken off the board here. So I think it, you know, you're getting these guys at a discount much greater than what you have in the past. You mentioned already the receiver room has cleared out. And I think that means we see far less rotation of receivers than we have seen the past couple of years. I think part of Kitley's problem was that he's like, oh, I have so many different guys out there. And we just keep rotating guys. And it made nobody happy in that receiver room. Hence why they're all leaving. But if you have a starting trio of Kelly, Eakin, and McRae out there constantly... That's going to that's gonna benefit us greatly for CFF if that's what they do. And then hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, as much as I can, like I'm breaking my fingers over here, we know who the quarterback is going to be for Texas Tech. And we know that unless there's injury, he is, go- he is going to play the entire season. And he does not have a massive history of injury, unfortunately, like Tyler Shuck did before him. So... Hopefully with a little consistency at quarterback, some experience there now with Baron Morton, we can see an uptick in this offense next year. Let's go ahead and move on to our fifth wide receiver we're going to talk about here. Again, it's really just the one name up on the board, Elijah Surratt, former wide receiver out of James Madison, heading to Indiana. But again, I want to talk about this Indiana offense just in general. Elijah Surratt, why does he... <coughs> excuse me. Wide receiver 19 last year. I don't know what just happened to me there. Um, in James Madison, phenomenal, phenomenal finish to the year. I was really hoping that he would stick around at James Madison, but unfortunately, Kurt Signetti gets hired away. Surratt says, hey, I'm going to follow Uncle Coach. We're going to go up to the Big Ten. We're going to do what we did back in James Madison. We're going to do it over there in Indiana. I'm already skeptical of transfers in general. I'm even more skeptical of G5 to Power 5 transfers, especially going to the Big Ten where you got tons of great defenses but I like the talent here. I like that he'll be in the same system that made him perform last year. I have I highly doubt that even with them bringing in guys like Miles Cross, Miles Price, Keyshawn Williams, and Donovan McCauley coming back to, from the transfer portal, Surratt's going to be a starter for this offense. You would think like he's just a super talented dude. You watch him. You watch the film. He looks like a power five wide receiver. So I trust that. I just don't know if I fully trust the translation of this offense in year one. It's the Big Ten, as I mentioned. Defenses are strong. You have Curtis Rourke coming in from the MAC. That's another piece of this offense that's coming up high into higher level competition. There's going to be a learning curve for him as well. So if Surratt comes at the right price, I'm willing to take a shot on him. But again, not spoiling anything because I'm not going to tell you where he went in the draft, but he went too high in the draft, in my opinion, for us, for 
a system that I think has a lot of questions going into at least year one here at Indiana. Nick, do you kind of feel the same way as me? Yeah, I think so. I, I mentioned in the, the Campus to Canton Slack uh, that I think that Indiana probably is is going to break a few hearts in, in the CFF uh, world this year. Um, there's there's a lot to like, you know, on paper, a lot of this stuff makes makes a lot of sense. I personally uh, missed out the last couple of years on James Madison receivers. Um, I just wasn't ready to, to buy in. Uh, you know, my my numbers have been too low on James Madison as a whole. That's certainly been a factor. Um, but I think I'm just I'm, I'm still not ready to to fully believe it, especially because things have changed. Right. You know, going to Indiana, um, it is a, a huge, huge step up in the level of, of you know, strength of schedule that these mm-hmm. guys are going to be playing. I mean, you look at Indiana's. Uh, schedule next season you know the non-conference looks pretty good fiu western illinois charlotte's in there very Um, nice so yeah three of the first four weeks sure Uh, things certainly could could work out now i'm also a little worried how will sort of the the pecking order shake out will it take a little while for this offense to start clicking for you know elijah surratt because he didn't start last season really lighting up the the scoreboard or, or, you know, filling out the stat sheet. He kind of came on late. If, if memory serves, I probably should have that in front of me, but um, it, it, if, if I remember correctly, it, it took a little while uh, for him to get going. Let me, let me pull that up. No, I got you. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll, he I'll didn't, he up. didn't have uh, more than 62 yards in the month of, uh, or, or, you know, those first four weeks didn't break a hundred yards in, until, uh, October and then finish with four straight yeah. hundred yard games. Yeah, he didn't. Ha- he didn't have a. Um, oh, I, never mind. I was about to make a point and then my spreadsheet just bugged out on me. So <laughs> let me. Yeah, he didn't have a twenty point fantasy game until week nine. So there I. So, there you go. It took took a little while, and, and you know maybe that doesn't happen because as you mentioned, the offense is moving, head coach, all that. He was a transfer last year, right? Uh, so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that that sort of uh, acclimation period, perhaps, maybe it's quicker this year, uh, but also maybe it's not. Different quarterback. Yep. There's receiver coming in, Miles Cross, Keyshawn Williams, Miles Price. Uh, so, you know, and, and there's a, a receiver coming back who I actually really like, Donovan McCulley uh, at, at Indiana. So, uh, I am I am a little bit concerned that the schedule after that, you know, first uh, three or first four games next year, it really gets tough towards the end of the season. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Washington, they're going to be a different team, but I still think yeah. probably pretty good. Uh, we're talking midway through here. Uh, Washington, Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State, Oof. Purdue, um, you know, and and. Michigan State and Purdue obviously are, are, are coming off of, of uh, disappointing seasons, but uh, I think that that things are maybe going to be trending in, in the right direction for both of those programs on the defensive side, especially uh, this year. So, uh, man, I just I don't know. I I, I know that Kirsten has a great track record. Um, I think that he'll probably get Indiana, you know, raise the level of competitiveness week in and week out. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of things that 
I just don't love about the situation for Elijah Surratt. And, and part of that is the competition for targets. Part of that is, you know, change of scenery, going up against tougher competition. Um, and, you know, Indiana's a, a tough place uh, to to play, to win. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, uh, yeah, I just, I have a feeling, especially if he continues to go in, in sort of the range where uh, he was in this admittedly very early uh, mock, I'm I'm probably going to end up with very 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 few shares of, of Elijah Surratt this year. One last little point I want to bring up here is again I I would I think we all agree that even with all the guys they bring in, the Surratt is the most talented receiver probably in this room. The one thing that kind of concerns me a little bit is that Miles Cross came with Curtis O'Rourke from Ohio, and they had a very good connection over there with the Bobcats. Regardless of talent level we've seen nepotism and like the, the these guys that come over that play together come over together and everything they tend to stick with each other they know each other well the chemistry is there already so makes me wonder how much is cross going to play into potentially taking away targets from Surratt next year if he makes it onto the field obviously because again big jump from the max to the big 10 he may not even start but just one little thing i'll throw out there Sure. And and I would say Donovan McCulley, as he continues to transition from quarterback to wide receiver, I think he's going to end up being the most talented uh, wide out in, in this room. I mean, he had he briefly entered the transfer portal and and was uh, pretty uh, there was there was a lot of interest. Right. He was he was oh, talking sure. about taking some t- uh, visits to multiple SEC schools and, and things like that. So um, also, I mean. Omar Cooper had had yep. some moments last year as well. So uh, there's just, there are a lot of options there at Indiana. And, and I'm just, I'm not sold at least yet that I understand uh, Elijah Surratt's order uh, in that pecking order, sort of where he fits in uh, fully in the offense. And part of that's, I really like McCulley. Part of it's, there's just a long list of, of receivers that are going to factor in. I'll also point out that I don't think that Saf's able to bring back McCauley out of that transfer portal without kind of guaranteeing somewhat that he will be a big part of that offense. So another, like you said, competition for targets there with Surratt. So something to keep an eye on during the spring. Let's move this along. We are going to be here forever, Nick, if we keep at the pace that we are at. So let's talk pretty quickly about this Texas wide receiver room. (sighs) Sark. Sark, we need to have a talk, man. This is this is getting ridiculous with the receivers that you're loading up on here. Again, just from a pure football perspective, this is great, man. Matthew Golden, Isaiah Bond, Silas Bolden, bringing in all three of these guys. Studs at their respective schools beforehand. Bring them all onto the same roster. You got Jonte Cook in there as well already on the roster. I just think for a CFF perspective... We love the idea of one of these guys becoming a Devontae Smith down the line. The problem is there's just way too many damn mounts to feed on this offense. Even last year when a lot of targets were funneled to, uh, well, we saw last year there were four main targets on the offense. You saw Worthy, you saw Adonai Mitchell, you saw um, JT Sanders, and you saw Jordan Whittington. It became just too many guys. I mean, Worthy finishes a wide receiver 44. Adonai Mitchell finishes a wide receiver 66. Now, here's the intriguing thing for me. Worthy was the victim of some pretty terrible touchdown luck. 
almost a thousand yards and and only five touchdowns. That's pretty unheard of in terms of production for wide receivers. And so like you would expect him to be upwards more of like nine or 10 touchdowns in the year if you're hitting a thousand yards there. And so if you were to give him those touchdowns back, he would have finished in the top 30 wide receivers, easily been a CFF relevant wide receiver on a week in and week out basis. So Nick, just to keep this kind of short and everything, of Golden, Bond, Bolden, and Cook, because I think we all agree those are kind of the four main guys, who would you bet on being that one receiver to kind of break free and receive the almost 100 targets like Worthy was able to last year? My my first instinct is to say Golden, but I think the right answer probably is Bond. Um, and and I, I need to dig into it a little bit more, but I, I could easily be swayed that, that Bond really is the guy to be. I think what I find interesting about Bond and Worthy, because our, our, our friend Mike Valerie, who runs the Back to Devi podcast, which you absolutely should go check out, and also make sure you check out his senior bowl work he and Barnabas are going to do. Um, anyway, he mentioned in the C- C2C Slack that he's like, oh, Bond is going to take over that Xavier Worthy role. And I was a little skeptical of that at first. I was like, huh, that isn't, I don't know if they're really the same type of player and everything. Well, went back, watched the film. There is a lot of similarities. And the other part of it was, Worthy was a guy that Texas moved all around the field, in the slot, on the outside, wherever they could. Bond was the exact same way at Alabama, never really stuck to one position. He really was a Swiss Army receiving option for them to kind of line up wherever they could get him. So if that is the case, and they move him around to get him open, I think I agree with you, Nick. If there's one guy I'm going to take a shot on, it's probably Bond. But also, I do like Jonte Cook still. Like again, we talked about earlier. Cannot, cannot just completely forget about the guys who are already there. Cook was a guy being groomed into being that worthy successor. Now, maybe <laughs> there, there's a pun there. Um, um, now maybe he hits a wall freshman year, right? Like that happens. Like there is so much hype going into last season gets into the season not quite as much production as we wanted to see not a year one zero which is always good to see but if he's able to take that next step in spring he might be the guy that i'm also taking a look at i think i'm probably avoiding matthew golden and certainly silas Bolden. silas Bolden will be in the jordan whittington role he'll be good probably even an upgrade over jordan whittington but i think that kind of full-time slot position there I think it's pretty capped in this offense for the most part. So I'm probably going to avoid Bolden. Um, Yeah, I think I agree with you. Bond, and then I just like the talent of Cook. So if he's available super late compared to these other three guys, I'll take a few shots on Cook here and there. All righty. Let's move on to another receiver here. Kelly Akarai. Was that even close, Nick? Uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't practice my, my apologies to, to Kelly, uh, if we get it Kelly wrong, A. But, uh, yeah, the, 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 the wide receiver out of UTEP, you guys know who I'm yeah. talking about. Um, he had himself a shaky year to start the year last year. His first double digit fantasy points game didn't come until October 
after he put up a monster week zero game that didn't count for anybody in fantasy. Well, end of the year comes. Classic G5 to P5 move here. He's headed over to Mississippi State, where none other than Jeff Lebby has taken over as the head coach over there. Should be able to run his offense. Should be much more friendly to receivers moving forward. Kelly A finished last season with five of his last six games hitting 100 plus yards, became way more consistent down the line. Nick, can he translate to the Power Five here, even competing with for snaps against the likes of Kevin Coleman, Justin Robinson still hanging out there, Creed Whittemore, who was a true freshman last year, is kind of coming along. What do you think, man? I'm not going to be super high. Um, great, great second half of the season. You know, other than than uh, one pretty much nothing game against New Mexico State. Uh, you know, that final five out of six games, pretty amazing. Really, really, really came on. Um, but I am just not convinced. Uh, Mississippi State, I'm, I'm not really loving the roster situation as a whole, mm-hmm. uh, their schedule is, is going to be tough. They're going to be at a significant talent disadvantage, uh, far more often than not. I'm not a huge Blake Shapin fan. Um, and I, you know, I kind of like Kevin Coleman a little bit. So, uh, there are a lot of factors there that, that worry me a bit. Part of it, you know, Akiari took him a little while to get going last year. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the the G5 to P5 or P4 or whatever we're calling it's uh, uh, a little bit of an issue. Um, and man, I just I just don't really love the situation Mississippi State's in right now. So um, I'm uh, at least right now pretty pretty skeptical uh, on, on him specifically. This feels like it's going to be a situation that if it hits, it's going to hit in year two. The quarterback situation I don't really like at all here. Again, their main quarterback options who Blake Shapin out of Baylor, like. If that's your best option, you're probably in for a rough season, and they're probably going to enter the they're, they're probably going to go dip in the portal for another quarterback next year, unless somebody on that roster takes a major step up this next upcoming year. So, again, it's a fun transfer. It, again, he's an ex- super explosive playmaker. You love to see those in Jeff Levy offenses, especially guys that fit very well along the outside there. So. I will take a shot on him every once in a while in a best ball league if I feel like I need some big games because I'm sure there will be some big games for Akiari at Mississippi State. But as a week-to-week option, absolutely not. All right. Let's go talk about this NC State wide receiver room. You guys all know and love Kevin Concepcion. He's still hanging out there, wide receiver 16 last year. But NC State was not happy with having to rely on him on a week-in and week-out basis. So they are loading up on some pass catchers for their brand-new quarterback there in Grayson McCall. And boy, oh boy, did they get some... Hey, they they went and got some really good options here. Uh, First and foremost, Noah Rogers, the former five-star wide receiver out of Ohio State, pretty much third in the pecking order in that class behind Carnell Tate, Brandon Ennis, it was going to be pretty clear. It's going to be hard for him to get out on the field there. Gave it his one shot for one year. It sounded like during his recruitment, he was already pretty close to flipping to NC State. And so a year at Ohio State, learned under Brian Hartline, said, 
all right, I'm good. I'm thank. I'm thankful. I'm going to go play for my home state now at NC State. So I feel like he's going to come in and make a major impact. They also bring in Wesley Grimes, the former four-star wide receiver there at Wake Forest. Uh, our own Nate Marquise was super high on him last year. I like the talent. I wasn't quite at wide receiver one uh, hype there for him last year, but I would have been surprised if he did overtake the wide receiver one role there. Turns out none of it mattered because Wake Forest's passing offense just completely fell apart last year. Wesley Grimes said, I'm out of there. Goes over here to NC State with a real offensive coordinator with Robert and I, who I think could absolutely take advantage of both of these guys and Kevin Concepcion this year. But that's the problem. I have no delusions that either one of these guys will overtake Kevin Concepcion as the number one option. But I do have two questions that remain. One, will Rodgers and Grimes being separate options for Grayson McCall to throw to keep Kevin Concepcion from becoming that elite wide receiver that he kind of was to end the year last year when there was pretty much nobody else for NC State to throw to? But at the same time, I think there's also room for two fantasy-relevant wide receivers here. Just go back to 2021 when Robert Rene, Brendan Armstrong had that fantastic year, right? Zaltavian Wicks finished as a wide receiver 24 that year, 93 targets. But Billy Kemp finished with 99 targets. He was wide receiver 66, just didn't get as many touchdowns. Uh, Keaton Thompson, 112 targets, finished as a wide receiver 58 that year. Just couldn't get the touchdowns, pretty much. There just wasn't enough touchdowns to go between all three of them to really make them elite fantasy guys. But the targets were just funneled to three guys that year. Is it possible we see the same thing this year? And if so, Nick, answer these questions for me. Is KC going to stay elite with these two guys there? And is it possible that all three of these guys could be relevant if they funnel to just these three guys? Uh, I think the answer to number one to your to your first question is yes. I think Concepcion is a pretty special player, um, and just seems like the kind of guy that that uh, this offense is is going to uh, feature in a variety of ways. Try to get him the football. Uh, Robert Knight does a really good job of that when he's got a special playmaker. You know they're they're going to get the football. You bring up a great point about. Uh, you know, those, those uh, couple of years ago uh, at Virginia, I, outside of Concepcion, and <laughs> most people, I think, feel this, this way, uh, that NC State office pretty lackluster last year. I mean, you look just down the, For sure. the lines and, and, you know, the passing numbers specifically, uh, there, there were some really, really rough games. Um Grayson McCall, maybe will solidify that quarterback position a little bit, but <laughs> Grayson McCall also, in my opinion, probably not the same quarterback he was uh, a few years ago. Has definitely dealt with some injuries. Is also one of those guys who's taken a step up in uh, competition, moving to uh, the ACC. Um, so I'm I'm not really sure what to make of this NC State offense as a whole. For that reason, I'm probably not going to get too excited about Rodgers or Grimes initially. Um, but I I loved what I saw last year from Concepcion, and and I do expect um, that that he's going to get the football a lot. So mm-hmm. I feel pretty good about answering yes to number one. 
the rest is a little bit of a, a, a question for me. We've, we've seen Anaya as a play caller in the past be really, really good for, for multiple wide receivers, as you mentioned. Um, but I was, I was a little worried about what I saw last year. And, and these two players, as much you know, talent and potential as they have, haven't quite seen it yet makes me uh, a little standoffish on, on, you know, really expecting the NC State offense to take a big jump and for, for both of these guys to really, really benefit as a result. Perhaps one will really emerge and, and be that, you know, one and two uh, combo with Concepcion. Uh, maybe it'll all click and, and, you know, I just didn't, don't have the foresight to, to really see it all come together. Um, but yeah, I, I think Concepcion feel good about him, but but definitely uh, more of a, a wait and see approach for me on Rodgers and Grimes. Who would you take the bet between Rodgers and Grimes if only one of them ended up being CFF relevant? I think Grimes. Uh, I think I've I've just seen it from him. I mean, anybody who's listened to to me before knows I'm I'm not a big recruiting recruiting guy, so I don't have. Uh, a, a real handle on Noah Rogers, uh, but I've seen some you know real flashes at times from Grimes. Uh, I I think Nate is is got a great read on it. Really trust his opinion and, and know that he's been really excited about Grimes at times. So um, yeah, I, I just am more familiar with him and and uh, I think trust him a little bit more uh, at, at this point. So could see him perhaps uh, stepping into to a bigger role and, and really producing. And, and for me, it's just lack of knowledge probably on my part for Rogers. Uh, but, but I think right now for, I, I would, I would definitely uh, bet on Grimes personally. Nope. Totally fair. I, let's go ahead and move on to another wide receiver room that has taken multiple wide receivers in this year, the Louisville wide receiver room has really gone under quite a bit of change this offseason. Obviously, Jamari Thrash headed off to the draft. I really wish he stayed one more year. I feel like he could have used another year there. But Louisville also loses Amari Huggins-Bruce and Kevin Coleman to the um, transfer portal. So the Cardinals are definitely in need of bringing in some receiving options for themselves here, and they sure did. Went and grabbed Colin Lacey. Uh, who was the wide receiver 12 last year in college fantasy. They also go and grab the former four slash five star, wherever you are looking for your recruiting services, wide receiver in Ja'Cory Brooks, who once led Alabama in receiving one year. Obviously he has definitely taken a step back since then, but maybe a little bit of fresh scene or fresh air and scenery is exactly what he needs to get going again. We all know and love the Jeff Brom wide receiver one. For college fantasy even last year jamari thrash had he stayed healthy because we knew for a fact this whole second half of the year he was playing when he probably should not have been playing and never really got healthy towards the end of the year through the first half of the season he was on pace for a top 20 finish at wide receiver so the jeff brown wide receiver one is a tried and true place I would bet heavy money that either Colin Lacey or Ja'Cory Brooks will be the wide receiver one for the Louisville Cardinals next year. It's just a matter of who. And this is where I have the dilemma. 
is the same dilemma that I faced with Kentucky last year, where I think one wide receiver is the more talented one. I think the other wide receiver happens to be playing in the system spot that typically gets the most looks. In this case, I think Colin Lacey is the more talented wide receiver. He was phenomenal for South Alabama last year, but he plays 70% of his snaps in the slot last year. Jeff Brown wide receiver ones typically have been outside receiver options. That's where Ja'Cory Brooks is going to be playing at. He played about 70% of his snaps on the outside when he was over at Bama. Now, clearly, both of these guys, just based on those percentages, can be shifted around a little bit. Maybe we all get surprised and Colin Lacey starts full-time on the outside next year, in which case that makes this super easy. But I am certainly a little confused here as to what to do with these guys moving forward because that is an age-old dilemma for me. Nick, what about you, man? you have a strong feel on which of these two wide receivers you're going to be investing in? Yeah, I think, I think I agree. If, if I'm going to end up investing in one of these guys, for me, it's probably Colin Lacey. I, I, I'm pretty alarmed at the just complete drop off uh, that we saw last year from Ja'Cory Brooks. Uh, Maybe, you know, there's just things that, that, I don't know, you know, why. Maybe there's a really good reason for it, um, but that concerns me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Colin Lacey is somebody who uh, has been on my radar f- since the spring or, or you know fall camp of his true freshman year. I, re- I remember reading some early reports about this freshman that they just knew they had to get on the field. Um, and took a little while for him to step up and just be a, a really, really productive receiver but um it was pretty clear that he was one of those guys at south alabama that was just too talented to keep off the field and and so finally got uh, put in a position where he's able to uh really be featured in that offense um i think that it's going to translate pretty well i at this point especially when we're talking about transfers i'm not going to look too deep on the you know this guy played out wide this guy was in the slot Mm -hmm. guys change positions and and a new coaching staff might you know see one guy and and maybe they thought the you know previous staff was miss miss uh using them maybe um the receiver himself entered the transfer portal because he thought he was playing the wrong position um so those things i think are going to end up working themselves out uh but yeah I, i i agree that colin lacey uh, to me, uh, feels like I mean, he's he's the one of the two that I'm just more comfortable in right now. And he's another one of those guys who's taking a step up in competition. That comes with its own uh, concerns, as, as we've said plenty of times. But uh, I think what I've seen from him in a positive light really outweighs sort of the the big red flag for me, for whatever reason, that Ja'Cory Brooks just completely fell off last year. Uh, so I feel a lot more comfortable. Yeah, I, I don't know all the details, but I do know for a fact that Brooks, it sounds like, got into Saban's doghouse and never really could get out after this past off season. So that's part of the reason why he kind of took a tumble on the depth chart there. But even still, I agree with pretty much all of what you said there. And to your point about G5 to P5, again, Nate and I discussed this pretty extensively on the Defending the Natty episode. I am skeptical of G5 to P4 moves, but if there's one area where we've seen some semi-consistent results, 
it is at the wide receiver position. That does seem to translate probably the easiest of the three major positions to the power four. So that gives a lot of you guys probably out there a little bit of hope that Lacey can kind of step up. I mean, Jamari Thrash just last year was a G5 to P4 transfer, and he stepped right up in this offense. So no reason why Lacey can't do it, because I honestly think Lacey's probably a bit better of a receiver than Thrash is. So last receiver we're going to talk about here today, Antoine Wells. Antoine Juice Wells is a former wide receiver out of South Carolina. Before that, James Madison. Heading over to Ole Miss, uh, Lincoln or Lincoln Riley, uh, Lane Kiffin, absolutely in his bag on this one, making sure that he brings in a top SEC wide receiver to line up opposite of Trey Harris here. Wells was the wide receiver 36 in CFF in 2022 when he played for South Carolina, was looking to be a top option for South Carolina this year before he got hurt early in the season. Just ended up not playing the rest of the year. There's plenty of rumors surrounding why that was. But even still, he's coming over to Ole Miss, where just last year, Trey Harris was wide receiver 48 on the year. He was on pace for a top 25 finish had he played the two games that he missed. Problem for Antoine Wells is that Trey Harris is back. And so, I think there's a legitimate shot that Wells and Harris, both being very good SEC caliber receivers, might end up eating into each other this upcoming year. With Dayton Wade heading out, Jordan Watkins also returning, it's quite possible that Wells, I would agree, I would think most people would agree, is a upgrade over Wade. They're going to target him more than they did with Wade. That probably brings Harris down a smidge. It could end up being that both of these guys are solid CFF options, but neither one of them ends up becoming that elite option for CFF. But at the same time, one other thing to consider is that maybe Ole Miss throws the ball a bit more this year. Maybe they lose Quinshawn Judkins to the transfer portal. That leaves a Logan Diggs, who was injured to end the season, and some rumors are floating out there that it was a pretty serious injury. So definitely lots of concern that he may not be fully ready week one. They have Ulysses Bentley still around, but he's not really a guy you would think of as a workhorse back like Quinshawn Judkins. Um, Kedrick Riscano, the true freshman last year, didn't get really a ton of run. Maybe he makes a big step up this year, but if that running game doesn't get going nearly as well, put it in the hands of Jackson Dart, your third-year starter. Let him rip it around with his receivers that you clearly wanted to go out and get. So, I don't know. Little torn here. I'm I'm scared this ends up making both the options on Ole Miss's offense uh trouble to have in CFF moving forward. Nick, do you kind of feel the same way? Uh well I will say first of all that, that I just completely missed the vote on Trey Harris last year. And I think probably a lot of us did. He was one of those guys who was in every draft, you know, the the returning uh number was so high, put him basically on that first page, uh, and hardly ever got drafted certainly early um but really you're all too focused on zakari franklin who did nothing perhaps perhaps and and isn't there anymore um so yeah i i I think that trey harris is still going to be a factor i think that juice wells is is good enough that that he certainly could uh end up being the the top guy in this offense but um 
I think that that Harris, as good as he was, and the rapport that he and Jackson Dart built up last year, uh, that's going to be a factor. Uh, also, you know, Jordan Watkins is back. He started off really, really hot last year, faded late, but you know, perhaps he'll uh, come back and and you know be a, a productive member of that receiving group as well. That could potentially limit Wells' ceiling a little bit. Um, Caden Prescorn is back, and hopefully he's fully healthy. He missed some time with injury last year. They also added uh, Daquan Wright as a, a tight end option there. So. Um, the the overall you know it, it looks like on on one level the room is is clearing out just a little bit and so i think that well certainly will be one of the top options um he's the only uh, you know power five transfer wide receiver coming in he's the only fbs transfer wide receiver coming in i do know that you know there's a, a big uh, juco uh signee coming in also yeah williams who was true freshman last year uh i feel like has a, a bright future and and will be a factor as well but um you know wells is good enough absolutely i think that maybe you know those two harrison wells step up and and be kind of a, a real one-two punch that are going to end up in you know with kind of similar numbers uh, but perhaps both still valuable for CFF, but uh, I'm not, I'm not yet convinced that, that really the, um, you know, one of those two is, is really going to uh, be a top tier guy, quite honestly, because I think they're both really, really good. And, and I think they're both going to um, produce in that offense. Well, at the end of the day, if I, uh... <laughs> Harrison Wells uh, doesn't work out at Ole Miss. They can always go head up Star Star Laboratories. By the way, doesn't Harrison Wells? We kind of both yeah. winded that a little bit. Yeah. Sound like yeah. I, 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 I was uh, I was trying to make that joke there. I'm, I'm no, glad I'm okay. glad he caught on, Nick. Okay. <laughs> I was I was I was I was hoping to just kind of throw it out there and just see if any any nerds would because you, you you said Harrison Wells at one Harris and Wells mm-hmm. at one point. And I was mm-hmm. just like, huh, that's a little funny. Anyway, enough nerd talk there. Um, if we're gonna if we're gonna do nerd talk, let's go talk about you know the nerdiest thing you could talk about in CFF, and that is the love of tight ends. Which man, oh man, this year freaking sucks for tight ends so far. Again, we got a couple of options like Dalvin Smith, um, if he even keeps his tight end eligibility, which I'll be advocating for him to fan tracks for them to remove that since he has zero inline snaps last year. But like. Holden Willis, maybe Harold Fannin. After that, it gets really dodgy real quick. And personally, historically, transfer tight ends have not worked out a ton. But there's some really intriguing options at tight end for transfer options this year. Especially with a lot of these guys kind of following their coaches from when they were productive. But also at the same time, you have... Some guys who were elite tight ends last year who are transferring to spots that had elite tight ends last year. So we a couple of fun guys to talk about here. We'll talk about the first guy here real quick. We'll try to knock through these pretty quickly. Jack Vailing, Oregon tight end last year, now at Michigan State, follows Jonathan Smith, Aiden Childs to Michigan State, getting the band back together over there. Tight end 10 in 2022. 
Nick, do you think that with him basically being in the same offense, same quarterback, or not the same quarterback throwing him, obviously DJU, but like clearly he intends to follow this group to Michigan State. Do you think we would expect more of the same from Jack Failing this year? Uh, I, I think we could. I think we could. The one issue that I've got is Jack Failing tied for the, the lead among tight ends with eight touchdowns last year. That is a good um, point. I'm not 100% sure that we can expect he'll be able to repeat that. There's there's definitely some luck involved there. I mean, certainly, you know, you trust a guy down uh, in the red zone and, and you know, that that could certainly carry over. Um, but I'm a little bit worried with veiling specifically uh, on, you know, touchdown regression. All righty. Let's go ahead and move on to our next guy here, Drake Dabney. This is exactly what I was talking about when I said that some elite tight ends are going to new spots that just produce elite tight ends. So Dabney, last year, kind of came out of nowhere for a lot of guys. A lot of people kind of like maybe Jake Roberts, who's coming up from North Texas. But Dabney, really, really strong starts the season. Ended up finishing as a tight end 12 in 2023. He's headed over to TCU, which is a fun little rivalry transfer right there. And TCU, just this past year, gave us Jared Wiley, who is a tight end four in all of college fantasy. So, Nick, is it really that simple? Guy who produced at a pretty elite level for tight ends last year, going to a spot that just gave us an elite tight end last year. Does Dabney slide right in and give us a solid tight end option again? Uh, I mean, perhaps, perhaps. I mean, Wiley was the other guy that that tied for uh, that national lead in, in touchdowns. So um, moving to an offense that certainly featured the tight end, put them in a position, or Wiley specifically, in, in a, uh, a spot to have a great year, be very, very productive. Um, and I've liked that, you know, for, for a little while. He's He's been somebody, especially in tight end premium leagues that uh, I've ended up with a, a decent amount uh, as sort of a mid to late round option. And, and perhaps, you know, this is a spot where he'll tick up a little bit in, in that pecking order. Um, but it's, it's tricky, but yeah, it, it seems like Dabney as established as he's been at the position and, and going to a spot that, you know, TC really did come along, uh, come around on utilizing Wiley specifically in the tight end as, as a weapon uh, seems like a pretty good spot on paper. Yeah, for sure, and he will not have a be. Or excuse me, he will not have to commit, commit, compete for tight end snaps and targets with Jake Roberts at TCU. So that should probably help him out quite a bit there. So we'll definitely see. Speaking of Baylor, they went and grabbed an old friend of mine, Mister Michael <laughs> Trigg. Yes, sir, I am triggered once again. Is this it, Nick? Is this finally the year? Why possibly Dabney, as I mentioned before, tight end 12 in 2023. Uh, Baylor loved throwing to the tight ends last year. The tight ends were third and seventh on the team in most targeted receivers. They ended up being second and fourth in the actual receptions that they were able to cop because apparently nobody on Baylor's wide receiver room can actually catch a ball. There were 81 targets between Dabney and Jake Roberts last year. Both Dabney and Roberts transferred out this year. Trade comes in. Wide open room. I love the talent of Trigg. Hasn't tra- never translated at Ole Miss for whatever reason, even though he had incredible springs two years in a row. Nick, 
Do I need to be committed to a mental asylum for having hope once again for this man? I mean, you said it, back-to-back -back spring game All-American, Michael Trigg, right? So uh, the, the talent's there. I mean, he was really highly rated coming out of high school, um, and it just hasn't worked out. I, I think, honestly, I've given up hope. Um, maybe on occasion, if if everybody else that I'm drafting with is is in a similar mindset, he'll be worth a flyer late. Um, but I'm I'm probably not going to uh, you know, my my expectations are fairly low. So uh, I think what what we get out of Michael Trigg is probably a bonus. Uh, certainly, yeah, maybe maybe this is a resurrection spot for him. Um, but. Uh, I've been burned. I I, I certainly uh, have drafted Michael Trigg quite a bit. Liked what I saw in spring. Liked what I saw on uh, and what I've read. You know, outside of that, um, but he's he just just hasn't hasn't worked out. And, and I think I'm uh, ready to move on personally. I will be drafting him as a late <laughs> tight end option a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't say I won't, but. Uh, I can never give up on this man. It, it 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 it's going it's gonna be like him using his last year of eligibility that I'm gonna have to finally give up on him. <laughs> I I I still drafted Malcolm Epps a couple times last year, so I've I've been, <laughs> I've been there. Yeah, that one that that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. All right, let's go over to another tight end here, Michael Harrison, really a wide receiver, but. Another one of these guys that has has the de designation. Remember when this guy was cool for five minutes last year? Uh, after Travis Hunter went down, this guy puts up uh, three top 25 tight end performances in three weeks, two of them in the top 10, which is absolutely on fire. Is right during that stretch where Colorado's offense is really catching fire. Really looks like he's going to be a cheat code in a lot of leagues before Hunter came back. He got regressed to the bench. His snaps basically went to zero. And you might be saying to be a little Jared, like, if he basically ended up being zero, why are you excited about it now? Well, he's reuniting with Sean Lewis at San Diego State, which, again, I mentioned before, Sean Lewis is really what made that offense go. If Michael Harris is coming in, Michael Harrison's coming into this offense, there's not a ton of competition here for him to get snaps. They bring in Deshaun Polk, who was also with Sean Lewis at Kent State for a bit, went to West Virginia, didn't work out, so he's back with um lewis there at san diego state they bring in nate barnett who i personally don't know a ton about so nick you might be able to fill in some holes there uh, fcs transfer from portland state uh and then there's makai shaw who's still hanging around he was the leading receiver for san diego state last year i'm not sure how much he trans or how much he translates there but even still we saw that sean lewis knew how to utilize michael harrison last year if he is in the starting lineup Harrison's going to be an extremely intriguing option for tight end um, in CFF this year, at least in my opinion. Nick, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think there's some reason to be optimistic. Did you did you mention Luis Brown from Colorado State? Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm. That's a great call. I, I I knew I knew when I was writing down names. I'm like I'm forgetting somebody. Yes, Luis Brown the fourth. That is probably another pretty good piece of competition there for him. Yeah, it's it's going to be really really interesting. San Diego State's a team that we're we're certainly going to have to spend a little time digging in on a, a bit because the the potential sort of the untapped potential um that's been there uh is you know there's some talented players on the roster who just didn't really get 
utilized nope. uh, very well, quite honestly, because the offenses were um, as, as rough as, as they've been in, in the last few years. Uh, I expect things will change. I think we'll, we'll see some things move in a positive direction, and Michael Harrison definitely could be part of that. He's a guy that um, really had no track record that I was aware of prior to last year until he you know, popped up with, with a few really good games. Um, did actually line up as an inline tight end he on did. occasion. So uh, not, not <laughs> fully, you know, just a, a slot, a big slot or whatever, but, um, you know, earned, earned, I think this tight end des- designation uh, and could be a pretty interesting piece. Uh, Jude Wolf is also transferring to San Diego state, uh, USC, transfer um he is you know the the more prototypical tight end 65 250 uh talented guy uh, signed signed with usc obviously out of high school um so i'm i'm not necessarily convinced that harrison is is you know going to play a lot of traditional tight end at san diego state but that could be good for his you know cff future perhaps if if it actually does because colorado basically didn't have a tight end i think that's partly why he ended up moving up uh in in, uh you know the the options that that they had there uh so we'll see um i i think that he could be an intriguing piece we've seen uh him be utilized uh at least you know a few spots here and there had had some really really nice games for a tight end and the history as of course you've said with with the play caller and the head coach uh sean lewis looks like it makes sense on paper i think we should probably keep our expectations modest i'm not not expecting him to be uh you know a tight end one um but uh, there's potential i think there for for harrison yeah no i think you're making a mistake if you take harrison as your first tight end off the board even if you even if you draft him like really really late like he's just not a guy that you need to anchor your tight end room with at least until we hear that like he's clearly starting for san diego state and again like like you said nate not nate nick bringing in a lot of uh bringing a lot of good pieces and they're again they're bringing in aj duffy a four former four-star quarterback that is going to be a very much a room that we have to keep an eye on during this offseason last name we'll throw up here justin jolly the former uconn tight end heading over to nc state tight end 13 last year Top rated tight end in the portal, according to On3 and 247. So that's going to capture a lot of people's attention. They're probably going to be looking at that saying like, hey, they're heading over to NC State. Could be an intriguing offense for him to be in. I'm just kind of skeptical that this is going to actually end up amounting to anything. One, like as we mentioned before, when we were talking about Noah Rogers, Wesley Grime, and KC, there's just a lot of mouths to feed. And when you got a lot of mouths to feed, that usually ends up pushing down tight ends on the pecking order in terms of the number of targets they're able to get. But here's the thing. We know Jolly is a very talented tight end, clearly, as as the recruiting services have tried to indicate with their rating of him in their transfer portal rankings. So if Jolly proves himself as one of the better players on the field, Anai has shown in the past, it doesn't matter what position a player is, he will get the ball in the best player's hands. Whether it be tight end, running back, wide receiver, (coughs) hybrid guys, doesn't really matter. And so, I think there's a path here. It's just for me right now, 
as much as I like the talent, I'm going to hold off unless I start hearing really great things out of spring camp. Nick, what about you, man? Uh, I think to to go back to somebody that we discussed pretty early on, Justin Jolly is kind of the tight end version of LeJounte Wester. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you look at, at his level of production last year, he was number two among uh, tight ends in overall targets. Only Don Falker uh, had more. Uh, he actually led tight ends in uh, target percentage for his team at 22.6% of UConn's uh, targets last year, which is more than Holker and, and any other tight end in the country. Only three had more than 20%. Uh, and, you know, he was he was kind of one of the only options, so it makes a certain amount of sense, is moving, you know, to a different offense entirely, so we can't yep. expect those numbers to translate. Uh, and then, you know, is is one of the smaller tight ends, probably not. I mean, he did he did play about half his snaps, maybe a little less um, at tight end of, of his past snaps last year. Uh, so he will line up in line, I'm sure. But NC State is one of those offenses that, that you know, you get kind of a, a unique skill set. Uh, like a Justin Jolly, who was a smaller, more athletic tight end, and you can move him around a little bit. So maybe yep. he doesn't, you know, line up in in line very often. Um, but he is, I think, a, a, a weapon potentially that somebody like Robert and I could really utilize. Right? I mean, he's not a Ronde Gadsden, no. but he is uh, maybe somebody who could uh, play that role a little bit, you know, in a Robert and I offense. So um, it'll be interesting to see. There are a lot of positive signs based on how he was used in the past and, and sort of what his skill set is. Uh, and I think the, you know, the fit in the offense could be really, really interesting, uh, but there are a lot of unknowns and and it is probably smart to keep expectations relatively low, but uh Justin Jolly's pretty good football player and Robert and I is pretty smart, uh, really smart, you know, offensive coordinator and and play caller. So uh, this one, this one, I think really could work out, but uh, probably not, you know, don't necessarily think it's a a slam dunk. There definitely are uh, some things that, that we should be, uh, that we should consider strongly before we draft Jolly too high. One thing that I know is a slam dunk and I don't have to consider strongly in the future is bringing you on to CTN in the future. Nick, you have been absolutely awesome today, man. Uh, let the people know yeah. what kind of stuff you got going on behind the scenes, man. Like what, what, do you, what kind of stuff you got cooking up in the lab? What are you working on right now? What can the people get, be excited about? Well, the, the thing that's taken up a lot of my mental energy lately is uh, we're getting pretty close to releasing the 2024 uh, returning production database. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the the relationship with Campus Canton, you know, me being part of the team, uh, was a lot longer last season than we made public. Um, however the the returning production database sort of my first big off-season project uh where we go through and and you know have team pages for for every team a ton of stats for every player go through you know make the changes who's coming back who's not uh who's transferring in who's you know ended up where um and sort of where all those numbers and, and percentages line up it's a big undertaking and and it was well underway 
uh, before I started uh, really working closely with, with the campus to Canton team last year, uh, this year, uh, Jarek and, and Colin have been huge, huge as far as helping me get that lined up. I mean, Jarek is, is working some real magic on the back end that, that has got me incredibly excited, uh, that we're really going to be starting to, to ramp up in the next, you know, week to 10 days, I think, um, that hopefully my, my goal is to have that available. Uh, I haven't said this anywhere publicly yet so maybe i shouldn't but um I, I think that that there's a good chance that it'll be available to our uh subscribers and our, our all 22 and our c2c winning edge members uh by february 1st that that's that's the hope um we're we're getting close so uh that's that's been a big deal and and the reason that we are ahead of schedule and and uh really really making some improvements on the back end that i think are really going to pay off um, is, is definitely due to Campus Canton, to Jarek, to Colin, who's helped a lot, uh, with, with a lot of the data collection and, and organization and stuff as well. So, um, really, really excited about releasing that pretty soon. Uh, and then once that's out in the world, there'll definitely be, you know, daily updates. We do update that anytime there's a major injury, a, a late transfer in or out, um, uh, but but the big thing uh, from that point is the team profiles, and, and that's going to be um, a big part of my day-to-day -day for the next probably couple of months. We usually try to get that out, um, you know, in April, uh, mid-spring, mm -hmm. mid um, and, and then hopefully, again, we'll be able to, to maybe speed up a few of the things on the back end that, that help us uh, beat some of our published dates in the past. That That's the hope, so... Um, we'll see how it all comes together, but right now the next big thing is is that returning production database, which, in my opinion, is going to be better than ever. Uh, thanks in large part to to you know the C two C team working behind the scenes. I still can't believe that on in 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 this world we were able to pair you and Jarek up onto the same team. The <laughs> amount of brainstorming and stuff that you or guys are able to do is just next level wizardly. Stop, dude. I, 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 I wish I could be there in, in when you guys do your little powwows and like coming up with ideas. It's absolutely incredible stuff. And more so, so far, so far, it's been it's really, really interesting because I have a lot of time to do these sort of things. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I have a, a decent work ethic with that. I can just sort of sit down and, and hammer out a bunch of stuff uh, in a really, really basic uh, sort of dumb way. Jarek takes it can to do the next level, the, right? He, well, he can he can take my just sort of mass. I can I can help deliver some things. He's actually taken that even to the to the next level, uh, being uh, just being much more efficient in, in some of the uh, ways that that uh, we're able to collect you know some of the information that we need. Um, but it, it's really working out to be a a, a real nice. Uh, comparison we we he compliments uh, he he covers up a lot of my uh inefficiencies and a lot of my uh areas that that i'm particularly not not that smart he he is definitely helping uh take us to the next level there and and colin of course uh has been super helpful too uh and really the whole team i mean but, yeah but those two on this project in particular have have been huge and, and i think it's really really going to pay off for for us and and certainly for our subscribers as well all the more reason for 
all of you guys out there to stick around both here at Chasing Natty and over there at Campus Again. Lots of great stuff coming your way. With that, we have come to the end of our show. I want to thank you guys all for listening. If you have not already, leave a like, comment, and subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube. And if you're on the podcast version, make sure you follow the show wherever you're listening and leave a five-star review where you can. Make sure you guys check out the rest of the Campus Camp Podcast Network for shows ranging on pretty much anything you can think of related to the college fantasy game, including Nick's own CFB Winning Edge podcast show. Make sure you check it out. It's every Wednesday, correct, if I remember correct? Usually, yeah. Usually every Wednesday. <laughs> uh, we'll see Usually you guys. record Wednesday, available Thursday. Okay, gotcha. Record Wednesday, available Thursday. Regardless, we'll see you guys back here next Monday for a another CTN episode, if I remember correctly. Yes, actually, it won't be just any CTN episode. It'll be the way-too-early CFF mock draft special for 2024. Got a loaded show for you guys there. Lots of great people involved in this year's draft. It's going to be a ton of fun, so make sure you guys check that out. Until then, really appreciate you guys, and I hope you guys have a wonderful and blessed week. See y'all.